The following resource is from Christ Community Church. For more information, please visit lovinglord.org. Heavenly Father, each year your church and much of the world stops to recognize the birth of your son. It's surrounded by many other secular attachments and celebrations. And even in the context of your church, Father, we have a tendency to either diminish or be distracted by all the sights and sounds and miss the significance of your son's birth. I ask, Lord, this morning that you would bless Christ Community Church with the ability to see and understand how we too, like Mary, are blessed if we believe. That the same blessings that Mary lifts up to you in her song are those that we have through faith in your Son. I ask, Lord, that you would show us that this morning, that we might see that in this messianic age, we can live knowing that mercy and justice and satisfaction in the deepest parts of our hearts and minds can be ours in Christ. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would bless me and bless my brothers and sisters with these blessings, that they might be ours because of who Christ is and because we've been united to him through faith. Give us that joy of the season, not because of the season, but because of Christ. I ask that you would do that, Father, in the midst of a a day and age when pain and suffering and confusion seems to reign, even though we know that Christ reigns upon the throne. So I pray that you would uh, help us this morning, Lord. Help us to understand a little better that which we don't understand maybe as clearly right now. Bless us in that way, I pray. In Christ's holy name, amen. Luke chapter 1, please forgive me, I made a mistake on the original bulletin I sent out. We're going to be looking at verses 39 all the way through the end, um, which is verse 56. So if you don't have your Bibles open up there, please, please go there now. Most of you who are tracking the news are probably in touch with the war that continues between Israel and Hamas. As the war goes on, we continue to hear from the world community cries for mercy for those living in Gaza, for justice for the 1,200 that were brutally and savagely murdered on October 7th, and and for provisions for food and water that, um, that the, the Gazans need right now. They, they need to be, have their, their daily needs satisfied. And, and some of these cries are actually, they conflict with each other. There's, they, there's a cry for mercy and justice at the same time, and then satisfying the needs of, of those who are in crisis. Um, the reason that the world keeps talking about Mercy and justice and provision 
is because we know that without one of those, life becomes unlivable. That we need mercy and justice and daily satisfaction of our needs, physical and spiritual met, in order for life to flourish. And that's why when you, when you see the images of what's taking place, you realize this is not a livable life. This is not the way that, that God made his creation to, to thrive. As we continue in Luke chapter 1, Dr. Luke, he continues to talk about the birth of Christ. And what I want us to see, especially from Mary's song, is that um, he reveals to us that Christ came not only to save us from our sins, but to enable us to flourish in life, to bring mercy and justice and satisfaction that can only come from God so that we can live and actually flourish now and then flourish for all eternity rather than stumble through life as though it is truly unlivable. If you were here with us last week, we had a chance to accompany the angel Gabriel as he, he first went to, to visit Zechariah. Zechariah was in the temple uh, overseeing the, um, the, the, the altar of incense. And he announced to Zechariah, if you remember, that um, his wife Elizabeth, who was barren and old, was going to give birth to a son. They were going to name him John, and he was going to be the forerunner to Christ. And then we followed Gabriel six months later when he went to Nazareth to visit Mary to tell Mary that she too was going to be, um, be blessed with a supernatural birth. Not the forerunner of the Christ, but Christ himself, that she was going to actually give birth to the very Son of God. Um, both announcements were made, as we saw last week, to announce that we were now in, coming into the Messianic age, that human history was making a radical turn with the coming of Christ, a point in human history where mercy would triumph, where justice would reign, and where that deep longing in the human heart, which cannot be met by anything on earth, would be satisfied by this coming Savior. Now, as sinners living in a fallen world, each of us know, we know, we experience daily our desperate need for mercy and for justice and for soul-satisfying satisfaction. We go through that. The problem is, in our sin, we do not believe that God really wants to bless us. As sinners, we think that we know we need these things, but as sinners, we try to achieve them or acquire them on our own. Well, the good news that we have, my friends, is that, that Christ came to reconnect us with God the Father, and in being reconnected to God the Father, we receive the mercy and the justice and the satisfaction that enables us to flourish. And so my hope this morning is that you'll see your need for Christ, the Son born to Mary, if you desire to flourish in this life and in the next that you cannot do it on your own. As sinners, we fail, but Christ enables us to succeed. And so this, this morning, we're going to look at um, an encounter, Elizabeth and Mary meet, and Elizabeth is indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and she prophesies, and then Mary sings. And in her song, um, we will hear about these incredible blessings that not only were, that came to her, but come to all who believe. Um, it is one of the most famous passages throughout the history of the church because it has Mary's Magnificat, 
which um, we'll look at in a little bit of detail. Um, So my hope for you this morning is that you will see how to flourish, that you'll know how to flourish even as a sinner saved by grace. So let's begin our study by considering from the text two things. One, the Blessed Mary, and for those of you who know your Catholicism, you say, oh no, here he goes. He's going to enter into Mariology. We'll talk about that. But I want to show you how Mary was blessed from this passage. And then number two, the blessed you, in that you can be blessed too, just like Mary. So the blessed Mary and the blessed you, the theme of the sermon would be this, the blessings necessary for human flourishing come to those who put their faith in Mary's son. The blessings necessary, the blessings you need to flourish in this life and in the next come through faith in Mary's son. Clear? Point number one, the blessed Mary. So Zechariah receives a message that he's from Gabriel the angel, that his wife's going to give birth to the forerunner of Christ. He doesn't believe, and he is rendered a deaf mute for nine months, at least nine months, probably a little more than that. He didn't believe. Mary is told, on the other hand, that she is going to conceive a son by the Holy Spirit and that he will be the Savior of the world. And unlike Zechariah, she believed. Look at verse 38. Mary said to the angel, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believed and she submitted to the Son of God being born by her. Verse 39. In those days, that's the days surrounding Gabriel's visitation, Mary arose and went with haste to the hill country, to a town in Judah, so that would have been about a 100-mile journey for Mary. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. So Mary finds out that Elizabeth is going to have a son too, by supernatural means, not immaculate. It's not, she's not going to be conceived um, by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be through Zechariah and Elizabeth, but she's too old to have a baby. She learns about this, and so she heads off to her older cousin to receive both counsel and encouragement. Verse 41, and when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby, that would be John the Baptist, who was six months or so old, leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit as well. Now, we learned last week that that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon John in Elizabeth's womb, so that should not surprise us. Um, But what does surprise us, or hopefully you find um, amazing, is that his commission, if you remember, John's commission is to, to be the forerunner, to proclaim and to announce the coming of Christ. And so even in the womb, when Mary arrives with the Son of God in her womb already, John engages in his work before he's ever born. He leaps in Elizabeth's womb to announce that Christ has arrived. Um, it's, it's a, uh, I think, a really cool way that God is revealing to Elizabeth and, and Mary that everything that Gabriel said was true. It's an affirmation of the testimony that Gabriel had already given them that, in fact, two sons were going to be born, one the forerunner and one the Christ himself. So John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He leaps because Christ enters the room. And then we're told that that Elizabeth as well is filled with the Holy Spirit. And she prophesies. Look at the latter part of verse 41. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And she exclaimed with a loud, loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, speaking of Christ. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, and she's using that in the context of God, my Lord should come to me. Verse 44, For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. So she knew, and Mary knew, this was a, a supernatural leaping. And blessed is she, Elizabeth said, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, that Gabriel's word was going to come true. So speaking prophetically, Elizabeth declares Mary's blessedness, that she is blessed, that she is favored by God. And she gives us two reasons. The first one, two reasons. One, the first one we know. She said, the fruit of your womb, she's carrying the Lord. She's carrying the Messiah. And so Elizabeth says, you're blessed because of that, and certainly she was. But then she also says in verse 45, you're blessed because of your faith. Blessed is she, Mary, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, that she would actually conceive a son by the power of the Holy Spirit and bring God's son into the world. So Mary goes to Elizabeth for counsel and encouragement because they're going through similar events. They both <laughs> spoken to an angel and both hear that they're going to give birth to um, sons that God will use to redeem the world. Um, but she has no idea that God is going to bless her with giving Elizabeth the ability to speak for prophetically. And she does. And, she, and Mary, uh, Elizabeth tells Mary how blessed she is. That she is the what? She's the blessed Mary. Now, I came out of the Catholic Church, so I had a form of Mariology that was um, um, probably something you've never believed in by God's grace. Uh, our Catholic friends, they venerate Mary. They lift up Mary to an unbiblical perspective in the Catholic Church. Um, Catholics actually teach that Mary was also born without original sin. They call it the Immaculate Conception, that she too, like Christ, was born without sin. They, they also argue that, that Mary, as the mother of God, that her body was also raised from the dead. They call that the bodily assumption of Mary. Um, neither of these are, are taught in the Word of God. I would argue the exact opposite is taught in the Word of God, even here in this particular passage. What we see is a humble servant who's also a sinner who needs a Savior. In fact, as, she, as Mary begins to sing her song, the, the Magnificat, that's, that's Latin for my soul magnifies the Lord or my soul rejoices in the Lord. She affirms that she's a servant and a sinner in need of salvation. Look at verse 46. This is how Mary now responds to Elizabeth's prophecy by song. She's singing her heart is overfilled with joy. Verse 46, Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my who? God my, my Savior. She uses the word Savior because Mary knows, Mary knew then, and she knows now that she was a sinner saved by grace, needing Christ just like every other human being. She was a sinner 
saved by grace. Look at verse 46 again. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? Verse 48. For he, God, has looked on what? On the humble estate of his servant. God looked upon Mary, a sinner, a humble sinner. She was a God-fearing woman. And he decided to bless her by bringing his eternal son and uniting his son to flesh and bone in her womb, not because she too was immaculately conceived. She would have been the first one, by the way, in human history to be immaculately conceived. And not because she, as the mother of God, would be bodily raised from the dead. God did this by his purposed plan to bless a servant, sinner, saved by grace to magnify his name. That's why she's so overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed by the weight of the blessing that she, a servant, a sinner, would be called to carry the Son of God. And that's why the Magnificat is such a, 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 um, an historical masterpiece because we as sinners say, how, would God, how could God bless sinners like you and sinners like me? Look at verse 48, the latter part. She said, for behold, behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Why would they call Mary blessed? Because she was immaculately conceived? Because she was bodily raised from the dead? Of course not. That all generations would call her blessed because God chose a servant and sinner to carry his son and bring his son into the world. The Catholic Church, it's unfortunate because what happens is as Baptists, we move so far away from Mariology that we diminish the importance of Mary in Scripture. And she's a really important part of God's redemptive plan. And, and it's understandable. The, the Catholic Church today, um, and this is really in the last couple hundred years, they've elevated Mary to a place equal to and in some places greater than Christ himself. They actually call her the mother of the church. Um, and and in, in actual, if you were to study your Catholic catechism, which I don't encourage you to do, but if you were to do that, you would find out that, that Mary is identified as the mediator of all of God's graces. So every grace that you receive is mediated through Mary. Not only that, they go so far as to say that, that Mary in some ways supplants the Holy Spirit. They don't say that, but this is what they say. Listen, the Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly the mother of God since she has by her charity... Her charity joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the church who are members of its head. Mary, mother of Christ. Mary, mother of the church. Um, that should give you chills, my beloved. Um, that sets someone else up into the, um, the chair or the seat of Savior. She was going to be blessed by all generations she was going to be honored by all generations as the blessed Mary because, look at verse 49 again, because he who is mighty, that's God the Father, has done great things for me, she said, someone so undeserving, holy is his name. She said all generations will recognize me as blessed not because of my immaculate conception, not because I will be bodily raised from the dead, not because I'm the mother of the church. He said, all generations will recognize how blessed I am because as a servant and as a sinner, God chose me to carry his son. Mary's blessed state was the result of God doing great things to her, not because she deserved it, but because God was pleased to do it. 
a unique honor indeed that Mary was chosen to bring the God-man <laughs> into humanity. It's even last week as we talked about it, when you contemplate God sowing in her womb his eternally begotten son, it should cause you to just either say, I can't, I can't think like that, it's too big, or it should cause you to want to worship God for his majesty and his goodness. But Elizabeth revealed that, that Mary was blessed not only because she was going to carry the Christ, but we're told in verse 45, and I think this is, a, this is a really important verse in our passage, that she believed. Mary was blessed because she was a woman of faith. Look at verse 45 again. This is Elizabeth now talking about how blessed Mary is. Elizabeth says, blessed is she, Mary, who what? Who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, that in fact the Christ would be born from her. So she's now walking in the same footsteps as Abraham, was she not? Abraham made promises to God. To, a God made promises to Abraham, and Abraham was declared righteous because he believed. He believed the word of God. He believed God's promises that he would be the father of many nations and that he would have someone seated upon the throne for eternity. Well, Mary now is in that same category, the blessed Mary, because she what? She believed God and she believed God's word and therefore she rejoiced in it. In fact, I would argue from Scripture that as a great an honor as it was that Mary was chosen by God to carry his son, what makes Mary worthy of talking about and worthy of being in Scripture is the fact that she was a woman of great faith, greater than the giving birth to the Son of God, was that she believed God and she submitted to God. In fact, I, I believe that to be true because Jesus said so. A few chapters later in, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is teaching the masses and he's casting out demons and this woman, this is from Luke eleven twenty seven. a woman in the crowd raised her voice and she said to Christ, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you were nursed. Speaking of Mary. Even early on there was a desire for Mariology and to exalt her, right? Jesus said to this woman in the crowd, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So this woman cries out, blessed Mary, full of grace. She's going to actually go into the Hail Mary much earlier than today. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Blessed rather, more blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The higher blessing, the greater blessing, which is an extraordinary thought, my beloved. It's an incredible thought and an incredible blessing that Mary gave birth to the Christ. But Jesus says, a greater blessing than that, a higher blessing than that are all those who hear the word of God and keep it, all those who truly believe. The greater blessing is the blessing that Elizabeth was acknowledging in her younger cousin when she said, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Blessed Mary, because you believed God's word and submitted to it. And this, my beloved, I believe this 
is what should make our study of Mary so exciting and so encouraging. Not so that we can look at her as a, as a semi-goddess, not so we can talk about things like an immaculate conception or her bodily assumption or, God forbid, her being the mother of the church. None of those things. We should get really excited when we study Mary because we realize, I hope, in the context of the gospel that Mary's blessings are our blessings. That what Elizabeth said about Mary in verse 45 she can say about every true believer who listens and follows Jesus Christ that we too are blessed and we too will enjoy the blessings of God. Mary should stand out not just as a mother of God but as a woman of great faith. She knew her need for a Savior. She turned to God. She put her trust in God. She received the Word of God and she submitted to it joyfully. It was a greater blessing than even her carrying the Christ child. And we we understand that. I think that that all blessings have various ranks, right? I I recently had a chance to go shooting with a uh, a brother in Christ. And and, and I enjoy shooting. Um, That's something that, that, um, you know, I'll, I'll spend 30 minutes, an hour, and it's joyful. But I really enjoyed spending time with him. That was a much greater blessing than actually shooting. It was the communion and the fellowship that I, I had with him. Mary was blessed to be able to conceive the Christ child, but the greater blessing for Mary was that she believed, that she had faith and she trusted the word of God. It is a blessing, my beloved, for you to believe that Christ is real. It is a greater blessing for you to believe his word and submit to it. In fact, I would argue That if you just believe that Christ is real, if you just believe that he is the son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, then you're no different than the demons. The scriptures say the demons believe that and what? They shudder. This blessing is one of faith. Saving faith in the Christ, hearing his word, believing his word, just as Mary did and how blessed you would be. So the question, I think the the question we want to ask ourselves is, well, what are the blessings that Mary's talking about? If it's not just her conceiving the Christ, which none of you will do because he's already been conceived and born and he is a man, that should be a relief to most of us. <laughs> what blessings was she talking about? Point number two, the blessed you. How you too can be blessed just like Mary. So Elizabeth's prophetic word to Mary is immediately followed by Mary going into this song of praise where she begins to worship God through song. And it's interesting, the first part, if you were following verses 46 to 49, Mary is singing and and it's in the first person. In other words, she's talking about, she's praising God and rejoicing God for the blessings that he's poured out on her, on Mary. But then there's a a, a pretty significant shift in the language. Verse 50 through 56, it's in the third person. And and Mary now is talking about the blessings of God upon plural people. What people in particular? Those who believe. Those who fear the Lord. And there are three blessings, big blessings that actually come out of this. One is mercy. The other is justice. 
And the last is satisfaction. And what Mary was doing is she was praising God. She considered herself part of those who believed and therefore mercy and justice and satisfaction were her blessings as well. But she was praising God for pouring out those blessings on all who believe. In other words, the necessity we looked at at the beginning of the sermon to have mercy and justice and satisfaction for flourishing in life belong to you if you're in Christ. Mary's song applies to you directly and the first thing she rejoices over is the blessing of mercy look at verse 50 she sings and his speaking of God his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation now the fear of God or the fear of the Lord is a another way of talking about someone who has come to a saving grace someone who is truly believes that God is God that Christ is a savior and will follow him one author put it like this he said the fear of the Lord is a recognition of and a reverent submission to God's transcendent sovereignty that he is God and you're submitting to him so Luke uses Mary here her her fear of the Lord, her faith in God as a model for all generations. Verse 50 again, his mercy, God's mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. In other words, we are in that generation of generations and therefore if you're in Christ, mercy is yours. Mercy is yours. Now, that is sufficient for me to stop this sermon and we could go right back into song and you would be able to sing with all your heart, for hours and hours and hours, if you realize that you have God's mercy instead of his judgment. You see, mercy is, in many ways, the opposite of judgment. Mercy is not getting the negative we deserve. Mercy is pardon instead of punishment. And here, Mary's saying, I have God's mercy upon me, and you can have God's mercy upon you as well, if you fear him. If you believe him, if you put your faith in him, the mercy that God had promised to Abraham and his descendants had made its way to Mary. And the mercy that God promises to Mary and all those who follow her son makes its way to us today. Look at verse 54 in her song. She says, He, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, God's mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring. If you are in Christ, you're an offspring of Abraham. And we know, my beloved, we know as sinners we need God's mercy. We need mercy in life, but we certainly need God's mercy because we've sinned first and foremost against him. We've rebelled against him and his plan for creation. We all know, if you know Christ, you know that this is how we begin life. And this is how you are until you are saved by grace through faith. Paul describes it like this, that we are by nature children of what? Children of wrath. We don't, we don't like hearing that, do we? I mean, that's just not a pleasant thought. But, but we know it's true. A little bit of introspection. Yeah, yeah, that's, I, I'm absolutely a child of wrath. Paul says we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But here's the great news, Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in what? Rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were in rebellion against God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. It's God's mercy, 
my beloved, for sinful man that moves him to send his son to pay for our sins that we might be saved by grace. It's his mercy that keeps you out of the lake of fire. It's God's mercy that keeps you out of the judgment day. He mercifully gives us that which we do not deserve. We deserve judgment for our sin. He gives us grace instead. We deserve eternal damnation. Instead, he gives us eternal life. He makes us alive in Christ and brings us into his eternal family. Now, we know this mercy came at a great cost. It was obtained by Christ, the son of Mary, through the cross, by him ascending the cross and paying for our sins. Mercy is not free. It is given freely as a gift, but it costs God everything to obtain it for you. You see, we know that sin, it always brings injury. When someone sins against you, they've brought harm against you. There's a debt that needs to be paid for every single sin that's been inflicted for all of human history. And God, being perfectly just, he must punish. He's required in his justice because he's good to punish every sin. Well, that leaves us as sinners with a dilemma. If God is just and must punish every single sin because we have incurred a debt, we have injured God, his name, his kingdom, his people, his creation. And God must judge that. Then someone must pay that debt if we are to receive mercy. Someone must. You, of course, know that it's Christ, but it's only Christ because he's the only man that ever lived without a debt. He never sinned, so he had no debt to pay of his own. He lived a sinless life, as you know, and because of his death on the cross, he can grant righteousness to us freely. He's the only, he's the only Savior that actually wants to save you. You know that. I know we have lots of functional saviors in our lives. People that we think can save us. Jobs we think that can save us. Christ is the only savior who can and actually wants to save you. No one else does. And Mary's saying here, all those who fear the Lord, all those who put their faith in, in this, this Messiah to be born of the virgin can receive mercy instead of judgment. I think the hard part, my beloved, is we talk about this so much, it, it somehow in, in our, our daily walk is diminished to like, oh, okay, yeah, I have God's mercy. No, you have God's mercy. If you have God's mercy, then you're not going to be judged. That means eternal death in the lake of fire is not yours. It's this mercy that God accomplished for us in Christ that we absolutely need in order to flourish. If you, don't, if you don't have God's mercy, my beloved, then you'll spend your whole life doing one of two things. You're gonna spend your whole life, if you don't have mercy by grace through Christ and his work on the cross, you're gonna spend your whole life trying to get it, trying to somehow put God in your debt because you're in God's debt, right? You've sinned against God. You've injured God. And so now you're gonna spend your whole life trying to get out of debt, doing things for him, doing good works, being a good person, being a moral person. And, and yet you know that that doesn't work, right? You can't get there like that. So the other option is, well, you just run. Run from God. Deny his existence. Say you, you're an agnostic. You don't know that he exists. Say, okay, he exists, but he's not that holy. God is a God of love. He will not judge. You'll do something to run from God's holiness. 
Only mercy from Christ can bring peace to your soul where you're not trying to work your way into heaven or trying to run from it. Only God's mercy that comes through Christ enables us to do this. And only God's mercy, my beloved, enables us to be merciful with one another. Right? I mean, one of the reasons that we struggle so much in our relationships with people is because we we lack mercy. I mean, fundamentally, we lack mercy in our marriages, in our homes, in the church, in the workplace. But we, we, of all people, Christians, should be the most merciful people on the planet because we've been shown the most extreme form of mercy, right? You were condemned to eternal damnation, and yet God had mercy on you in Christ. And that mercy is yours now. And so we, of all people, we can be hurt and we can have um, injustice come against us and yet respond with great mercy because we know what it's like. We know what it's like to stand in the judgment seat and yet to walk freely because of Christ. There was a dear brother here years ago who was um, a, a very moral man, doctrinally sound, but he, he lacked all mercy in his life. And if you did something to hurt him or if you sinned against him, you were immediately put on, on the naughty list. And you didn't get off the naughty list. And um, it, it probably wouldn't surprise you that his marriage was in shambles. His family was in shambles. He ended up leaving this church poorly. He went to another church, left there poorly because he lacked mercy. And of course, the scriptures would, would argue that maybe he never enjoyed the mercy of Christ. If you have the mercy of God, you will extend that mercy to others. It will be given because it has been given to you. God changes our hearts to love like that, to be merciful like that. So we can actually, we can extend radical mercy. Um, And what what an amazing testimony to the world when they see that in your life. Because it doesn't make any sense, right? When someone really injures you, you either want vengeance or justice, right? So when you extend mercy for the sake of God, the world will see that and they'll be moved by it. So Mary says, listen, if you fear the Lord, Mary had that mercy. She recognized that. She recognized God as her Savior. She had that mercy. And then Mary says, you can have that too through faith. But she also shows us a second blessing and that's justice. Look at verse 51. She said, he, speaking of God, he has shown strength with his arm. That's, a, that's an Old Testament image for the power of God, the strength of God's arm, his right hand at times it said. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, so the prideful he has, he has judged in verse 52, and he's brought down the mighty with their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. And so the picture Mary is using Old Testament imagery here to talk about God's justice, right? She's already had a chance to sing about his mercy, and now she's singing about his justice. The, the strength of his arm, that, that probably comes from Exodus 6.6, 6, where God, I'll, I'll just read it to you, God said, I will deliver you from slavery out of Egypt. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. God's justice upon Pharaoh and Egypt for enslaving his people. The scattering of the proud from the judgment likely refers to Babel, Genesis 11, where it said God dispersed the people of Babel over the face of all the earth. So his judgment would be one of scattering, not bringing in. 
And then the bringing down of the mighty thrones, there are several passages that that could be referring to. Um, one in particular would be Ezekiel 26 where God pronounces his judgment on the nation of Tyre. And he says, all the princes of the sea will step down from the thrones. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground and tremble every moment and be appalled. And so what Mary was saying was that the, the blessing of her son coming would be a blessing of justice for all mankind. That the eternal judge who would be the Christ would come. The proud and the mighty would be dethroned. And the humble... Those who fear the Lord, like Mary, would be lifted up. And so she's praising God for the justice that God is going to bring through the Messiah, through her son. Now justice, I would argue, just like mercy, is necessary for us to flourish. Um, life is not livable where justice is truly denied. And, and we because we're so connected now and, and we, we get images and we get news clips 24 hours a day from all over the world, we see and we read about grave injustices taking place. And not just around the world, even in our own backyard. You experience it yourself. Um, just last Tuesday, that, that poor security guard who was, who was working at that mall in Philadelphia was stabbed to death for trying to stop someone from stealing hats. And he died doing his job. And so his name was Eric Harrison. He's 27 years old. And so his family is now, as they approach Christmas, had to prepare his funeral service because he was trying to stop a man from stealing hats and gave his life for it. Uh, the mom was on the news and she was rightly demanding for justice that the assailant would be arrested, tried and found guilty, and, and duly punished. But we know that even if that happens, justice will not truly be served because Eric's not coming back. Right? We know that. True justice requires full restoration. True justice requires complete payment of that which is lost. For Eric... That would not be possible if he's not a Christian. But for God's people, for those of us who have put our faith in this Messiah who would come and reign justly, justice takes on a whole new meaning for us. Right? As, as Christians, we know. We know we deserved God's justice. We know that because of our sin. But in Christ, we know that instead of being judged justly for our sin and being put to death, we know that God has given us mercy in Christ. So justice to us becomes a very sweet thing. We've been made righteous by faith and now we stand exonerated before the Lord. And we do that because we know that, that God's vengeance, God's wrath was poured out on Christ. And, and if that's true, my beloved, then, then when you experience injustice in this life, and you have, maybe you have even today, when, when justice fails you, when let's say a loved one is taken from you, ripped away from you as Eric's mom is experiencing right now. Um, or maybe you, maybe you lost your job because of your profession of Christ. Or, or maybe, um, maybe your friends have disowned you because 
Um, you keep talking to them about the need to be saved. Whatever the injustice is, Father, um, brothers and sisters, whether it's big or small, us receiving mercy enables us not to exercise vengeance. Right? You as a Christian actually can, can do that. You can not exercise vengeance. You can seek justice when it's right to do so, and you can extend mercy when no one else would extend mercy. In other words, the Holy Spirit is able to temper your heart so that when you experience injustice in this life, you won't respond as someone who doesn't know mercy, right? And, and I've, I've had the pleasure of seeing that, actually, um, in the church over the last 25 years. Grave injustice is taking place both in the church and in the homes, and I've seen mercy extended I've seen it in marriages where they were on the brink of divorce and mercy was exercised and marriages were restored. I've seen that with, with parents and their children. And so we have that ability in Christ. But as Christians, not only are we able to handle injustices against us now because of God's mercy, um, when he rose from the dead, he ascended to the throne. And so he reigns right now. And, and the promise is that when he comes again in glory, he will what? We actually say this in the Nicene or the Apostles' Creed as a derivation of it. He will come again in glory and he will what? He will judge the living and the dead and his kingdom will have no end. So we as Christians, there's, there's a great hope for us. You can, you can watch the news and you can read the newspapers and you can see evil and injustice taking place, but you know that it's not going to last you know that, that evil does not win. That's not the end of God's redemptive story. You know that when Christ comes, when this son that will be born of the virgin comes again in glory, every single injustice from Genesis chapter three until that moment before he comes, every single injustice will be made right without exception. Every single injustice will be adjudicated by Christ the King the judge. That means Eric's murder, even if he goes to jail, even if he's put to death, will not miss God's judgment. Every murder, every rapist, every liar, every idolater, every moral person who rejects Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will be justly adjudicated by the eternal judge. That's every wrong made right. Every debt fully paid in other words, we as Christians know that any justice that's delayed now is not denied. We know as Christians that when the Messiah comes and establishes his kingdom here on earth, justice will absolutely reign. And that should provide you with great hope when you look upon a world that seems to be tearing itself apart. All the injustice that continues even this morning even as we're here in this relatively safe place, will be adjudicated when Christ comes. So that means you don't, you don't have to become discouraged. You don't have to become depressed. And you don't have to do what a lot of Christians are doing today, and that's detaching themselves. They're actually moving out of the world, and they're setting up these little enclaves, and they're hiding. That's, that's not what Christ called us to do. He called us to go into the world to be the salt and the light, Right? to bring mercy and justice to the poor. In fact, we of all people are supposed to fight for justice. 
Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead for the widow's cause. And that means that we can engage in the battle, knowing sometimes we'll win and sometimes we won't. Sometimes when we engage the injustice around us, you know, some of you have, have been out on the sidewalks at Planned Parenthood and, and you're, fighting, you're fighting for the justice of the unborn. And you think, well, what, what good am I doing out here? Sometimes God will use that to save and, and sometimes he won't. Some of you are, are active in speaking out against the, the, the extreme progressive liberalism in the public schools and what's taking place with our little ones and you're speaking out against it. Um, some of you are, are fighting for the respect and the care and the sanctity of life for the elderly, which is in a bad place in this country. Or maybe you're speaking against something like critical race theory or gender fluidity. Whatever it is, my beloved, that you're fighting against, know that that fight is a good fight. That even if you don't see an immediate victory, even when you, when you think this is futile, you must know that we, in fighting for this, know that Christ will judge one day. And so even if it doesn't seem like you're making great effort here, you know that justice one day, Amos 5.24, will what? Will roll, roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. And if that's true, then we can fight the good fight now knowing that Christ will come and judge once and forever. So Mary says, if you are like me, Mary says, and you have put your faith in God, then you're blessed with his mercy, you're blessed with justice. And she gives us one more, um, which I think we're probably most drawn to, at least in our cultural moment. If we were experiencing grave injustice in our lives, we're truly in jeopardy, we were having war here, you, you'd gravitate toward wanting God to judge your enemy, right? Or, or if, if you were someone inflicting that, you'd gravitate towards God wanting to extend you mercy. Um, but there's, there's a last one here, there's a last blessing that Mary talks about, which I think probably touches us most closely, and that is the, the blessing of satisfaction of God's provision for us. Now, I'm not talking about just general blessings. I'm talking about God blessing us in the deepest part of our soul. Blessing number three, being satisfied. Look at verse 53. Mary is still singing. She's in song. She said, he, speaking of God, he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. And so again, we're seeing this upside down kingdom coming, right? The proud will be dethroned. The humble will be raised up. Here, the, um, the hungry will be filled and the rich will be sent away empty. So how is it that God fills the man's, a man's hungry soul? We know that after the fall, Sin not only brought death, physical and spiritual death, we know that, we know that's the consequence, but it also brought a, a desperate, deep, soul-crushing emptiness to the human condition. Right? Sin causes us to always want and always long. What we're wanting is God, but we don't have him because of our sin. Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, we're cast out of his presence because we are sinners. And so when Mary is talking about God filling the hungry, uh, this is not to dismiss 
his provision for our daily needs in a Matthew 6 sense. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things, including clothes and shelter will be given to you. But I, I think Mary here is thinking about it more in a, um, a spiritual or an eschatological and end times sense, how man's heart, because we're always searching and we're always hungry and we're never ever satisfied because we can't fill that void on earth, Mary says God will bless you with satisfaction through her son. In fact, I would, I would argue one of, the, one of the uglier aspects of our fallen nature is our pursuit for that satisfaction that we can't get. It's just, it's ugly. It's ugly even during this time of year, during the, during the Christmas season. We want so desperately to be filled. We want that lasting sense of joy. I had a sister in Christ, she says, she says I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy and I'm not happy. And of course, I asked, well, how are you trying to obtain happiness? If it's here, you will always miss it. Even if you have it for a little bit, you're, you're gonna miss it eventually, right? If, if we're constantly pursuing that which does not make us happy here, um, then we, we would have to agree. C.S. Lewis, the great 20th century author and apologist, he put it like this. He said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, then most, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. That makes sense, right? If, if you cannot find anything here that satisfies that deep part of your soul, then you must conclude there's another world, another place, another person that can bring that satisfaction. Lasting satisfaction. We know that other world is the kingdom of God and we know that true satisfaction is in the king. It's in the person, the son of God that would be born of the Virgin Mary. In it, and I must admit, my beloved, it is, it's somewhat ironic every Christmas season that rolls around where Jesus, it's the birth of Christ. Jesus Christ is supposed to take center stage, right? It's, it's his time of year. And yet, when we're supposed to be acknowledging and worshiping and following Christ most, the world breaks out their pocketbooks and we spend trillions of dollars buying material things. The average American this year, 2023, will spend, the average American will spend $1,000 on gifts. He's thinking, well, well that, that, that my family. Uh, I'm not getting those gifts. The United States alone will spend over $300 billion on buying gifts. And throughout the world, we're at $1.2 trillion. $1.2 trillion of gift giving and gift receiving. And I'm not saying it's bad to buy and receive gifts. But for many people, there, there's an attempt to find satisfaction. There's an attempt to get a taste of joy just for a minute, either in the giving or the receiving, because for the most part, they're pretty joyless. And so if we give these gifts or we receive these gifts, then maybe I can find that, that joy, that satisfaction. Last year, I don't know if you remember last year, Amazon came out with a, a, a very popular commercial. Um, and the commercial was called Joy is Made. I don't know if you, if you saw it, um, it, it was, it was a, actually a really, really well done commercial. So I'm, I'm, I'm gonna give it props, but I'm gonna tweak it a little bit. Um, it featured a girl, she was about 10 years old, 
and um, it's just she and her father. And so you don't, you don't know where the mom is, but the implication is mom's probably dead. She probably died. So 10-year-old girl and her dad, and this girl has a snow globe, and she loves her snow globe. It's her security blanket. She literally takes it everywhere, including to school. Um, and she's always shaking it, and she's looking into it for hope. So what does her dad do? Her dad wants to bless his daughter. And so, unbeknownst to her, they have a greenhouse in their backyard. And so he goes and he buys a Christmas tree and a snowman, and he puts all these lights in here, and then he takes confetti to make it look like snow. And he turns this greenhouse into a snowball, into a, um, um, it, it, would, it looked like a snow globe. And then the commercial ends, it's night, and it's illuminated, and, and he takes her out there, and she's just like in awe of what she's experiencing. And so the commercial ends with dad holding her, and she's beaming from ear to ear as the lights are on and the, the snow is coming down. And then it ends, and it says, joy is made. Joy is made. I would say that's true, but not as Amazon was trying to portray it. Joy is made, but it's not made by man. Joy is experienced by man, but it's made and it's given by God. We try, we try to make our own joy, but it's the gift that God literally made in Mary's womb that can truly satisfy man's unending thirst and hunger. God made joy in Christ so that we can have joy in him. I'm talking about true joy, that lasting joy that you have in the depth of your soul that never leaves you because it's grounded in a love relationship you have with God who is eternal. You see, Christ came not only to free you from your sins by paying for them in full. He came in the flesh, listen, and he remains in the flesh now and forever so that you can have your joy in the God-man. Not an idea, not even a spirit, but the God-man, the real flesh and bone person of Jesus Christ your ultimate lover finding your ultimate joy which never goes away because he promises to never leave you and never forsake you. We all know that a love relationship trumps all material possessions and all worldly experience. We know that. Right? I, I pray you do. But even the most intimate relationships on earth, they're tainted with sin and they too will end. But if the ultimate love relationship that you were made for, as C.S. Lewis said, in another world with another king, if it is a relationship with Jesus Christ to be loved by him and to love him forever and ever, that means every single longing you have right now, every desire that's unmet, 
every need you've ever had that you have not been satisfied in can be in Christ. His love for you and your love for him. In many ways, God is, Christ has ascended and he is, he's preparing a place for you. He's hanging lights, gathering a Christmas tree, putting up a snowman so that when you come into his presence, there will be joy, everlasting joy. Verse 53 again, he, God, has filled the hungry with good things, all the love and the joy and the peace that comes in Christ and the rich he has sent away empty. You see, the rich strive for joy on their own. And they generally try to buy it. We do the same thing. We try to acquire it on our own, and it never lasts because true satisfaction and true joy only comes in Christ. To whom? To all who believe. You want the greatest gift? Then put your faith in Christ. Mary was blessed. Mary was blessed. She gave birth to the Messiah, but she understood she was blessed infinitely more, not just because she gave birth to the Messiah, because she put her faith in the Messiah. She understood that. She looked at all the promises that God had completed going back to Abraham, and she looked forward to the promises that would be fulfilled when Christ came again in glory. And even Mary, my beloved, on that first Christmas day, instead of focusing on, on the baby she held in her arms, she praised God for the mercy and the justice and the perfect satisfaction her son would bring through the cross. I pray that we will learn from Mary this Christmas season. I pray that we will learn, learn mercy, we will learn justice, and we will learn to be satisfied in Christ so that we might flourish now and tell others who do not know Christ how to flourish too. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all the good and gracious blessings that you desire for us to have in Christ. I praise you for this magnificent song that Mary sang to you in praise that reveals so much hope for us. I ask, Lord, that this Christmas season as we reflect upon you sending Christ into this world that you would remind us of the mercy that we have because of his sacrifice. You would remind us, Lord, that, that justice will one day reign no matter how much injustice we see today. And maybe above all else, Father, I pray that you would give us that deep satisfaction, that soul-satisfying satisfaction that overcomes our desperate hunger. Draw us to Christ that we might know his love and love him in return and be the most satisfied people on earth. I pray you would do this, Father, not only for the blessing of your people, but ultimately for your glory. Use this season to that end, I pray, in Christ's holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Christ Community Church is a Reformed Baptist church in San Jose, California. 
If you'd like more information on our church, please visit lovinglord.org. From there, you can find service times, weekly gatherings, our sermon archive, and other resources. For video content, please visit our YouTube channel. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you again for listening.